Well, good morning. My name is Peter, one of the pastors here. Welcome to Heart of Life Church. Uh, that may have caught you by surprise. My name is Peter. I am Peter Assad, and I just don't have any hair right now. Um, my wife, for Christmas, made a lot of people hats, knitting. And I love wearing hats in the winter because, you know, it keeps your head warm. But I really, really don't like hat hair. And so I cut out the middleman. And this is the blessing of less. <laughs> I'll be here all week. <laughs> Maybe it's the time of year, but I'll be honest, I often find myself especially reflective during the winter. Uh, lots of thinking, lots of dreaming about the future, sure. But really, I find myself reflecting on the past quite a bit. And I got to thinking recently about 2020. And I know we're all trying to forget that year and what that entailed and everything that came with it. But as I found myself reflecting, especially about the two weeks to flatten the curve, if you remember that, which is almost funny to say if it wasn't so sad. But I found myself realizing something about COVID. Even with the entire world practically shut down, we still made time to celebrate. Sure, sports were canceled. Theaters, uh, you know, dropped their curtains, so to speak. They shut their doors. Uh, and yeah, work and commerce had to radically pivot. But one thing remained constant. Celebration. It just changed forms a little bit. You know, and uh, there, there were no more big parties at all. But if someone graduated during COVID time, you know what we do? We found a way to celebrate it, didn't we? We just socially distanced and, uh, you know, a caravan of vehicles parading down the street. And, and sure, we didn't gather for birthdays and anniversaries, but we FaceTimed. And we decorated lawns like it was something out of Chevy Chase's Christmas vacation. And no, we didn't rent out big halls and venues for weddings, but we zoomed in from all over the world to watch people, socially distanced, of course, make vows that till death do they part. What I'm saying is, even as the landscape of the whole world changed in a single instant, one thing stayed the same. We made time to celebrate. Why? Because celebration is central to who we are as human beings. Celebration is central to who we are. And it turns out celebration is central to who God is too. In fact, you can trace this throughout the entire story of the Bible. In the very first chapter, Genesis chapter 1, after God creates the world and everything in it, verse 31 says this, that God saw all that he had made and it was very good. There is something so satisfying about finishing your work for the week about crossing off that last item on the to-do list or even savoring the last bite of a delicious meal and going, that was good. No wonder we do that because God does that too. 
And we can actually pick up the same thread of celebration at the very end of the Bible too, where Revelation speaks to the end of days and the culmination of of, of the cosmos and the glory of Christ and his return as God sets the world right again. What's the response? Take a look at this. Revelation uh, Revelation 19, there's a party, specifically a wedding feast. And it depicts it this way. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Won't that be quite a day? Amen. Amen. I'm going to read that again. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. Gladness. Rejoicing, giving glory and praise. The scriptures are bookended, the first book of the Bible and the last book of the Bible with celebration. Because celebration is not only central to who we are, but who our God is. It's what we do and it's what he does. There is a reason why we come alive when we celebrate. It's because we were made to do so. And which is why I find it so odd that when we become a Christian, it's like we start measuring maturity based on how much we sulk. Got to have a scowl on your face. Can't can't take a joke. Can't be serious. Got to be solemn. Right? Somber. Can't have a good time, that's worldly. Can't be fun, not with how serious things are around us, not how awful things are. Listen, I know that Jesus was called a man of sorrows, but I'm doubtful it meant that he was a downer. After all, kids loved Jesus. Everyone else is trying to shoo them away. He's like, bring them in. People loved having Jesus over their parties, right? Everyone's inviting him to their house. I mean, his very first miracle of all miracles that he ever performed was turning water to wine. Tell me, you don't want a friend like that in your life. From his first ministry move being new wine at a wedding feast to his final act before the cross being the celebration of Passover and the institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus knew how to celebrate. And so if we are to be followers of the way, that is followers of the way, the path that Jesus walked, then it seems to me we should be growing in a lifestyle of celebration. And there's four reasons why. Four major benefits to celebration. And here's the first. Celebration completes joy. Celebration completes joy. The the half-brother of Jesus, James, says this so well in James 5.13. He says, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Let them dance. Let them celebrate. Why? It's not enough to just be happy about something. When you're happy, you just have to express it, right? 
There's some kind of an overflow, some kind of a song in your heart. C.S. Lewis picks up on this theme when he says, all enjoyment spontaneously overflows. It erupts into praise, into celebration. But then he adds this, unless, of course, shyness or fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. There is something innate within us to shout good news from the rooftops. To declare the merit of a movie we just watched or the glory of a sunset we just witnessed or an achievement that we have won. We cannot help but just erupt in some form of praise and celebration unless, of course, fear creeps in and cuts it at the knees. That's because giving into that sudden sense of joy and elation can be a very, very vulnerable thing, can't it? Dr. Brene Brown, uh, you may have heard of her name, uh, she's in recent years been rising up as one of like the leading voices on emotional intelligence. Well, she was on an interview with Oprah one time, and she made a really interesting statement. She said, if you ask me what's the most terrifying, difficult emotion we feel as humans, it's joy. You're thinking, joy? Terrifying? Really? But watch this. She says, how many of you have ever sat up and thought, wow, work's going good, good relationship with my partner, parents seem to be doing okay, Uh uh-oh, Something bad's going to happen. Why do we do that? She says, you know what that is? When we lose our willingness to be vulnerable with others, joy becomes foreboding. It becomes scary. You know, I'm not going to soften into this moment of joy because I'm scared it's going to be taken away. And then she tells a story about a man who spent his whole life never allowing himself to get too excited or joyful about anything. And I knew exactly this strategy because I've done it myself, right? Don't get your hopes too high. You'll never be disappointed by anything in life. Well, there's a shortcoming, and she explains, when that same man's wife of 40 years was suddenly killed in a car accident, Brene Brown remembered him saying, the second that I realized my wife was gone, the first thing I thought was I should have leaned harder into those moments of joy because that did not protect me from what I feel now. Sometimes we avoid celebrating in the moment because deep down we are afraid to be vulnerable with the joy that we feel. We're afraid of it somehow being taken away. But if avoiding celebration now does nothing to preserve that joy later on, then maybe C.S. Lewis is right. That joy is somehow incomplete until we willingly and perhaps even vulnerably allow it to well up into praise and celebration because celebration completes joy. And there is something so deeply dissatisfying, isn't there? So deeply dissatisfying when we're excited about some kind of news, but we're unable to share in that with others. In this way, the Apostle Paul exhorts us with Romans 15, Romans 12, 15, he says, 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And that makes complete sense, right? Now, on the surface, it seems pretty simple. Perhaps even even simpler than the rest of the command, which goes on to say, weep with those who weep. But I'm going to argue that it's actually harder and far more challenging to obey this part of the verse, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to celebrate with those who celebrate. And I'm basing that on personal experience. Because we know better than to rejoice when someone else is weeping, don't we? There's something not right about that. We just get that. If someone is sad, sit there in sadness with them. You know, if someone says, hey, things aren't going too well, don't start bragging about what is going well for yourself, right? That makes sense. But when someone is rejoicing, I mean like elated, how often have we seen it go like this? Hey, that's really cool that it's going well for you. My week hasn't been so great. And then we change the frequency in the conversation and proceed to talk about all the things not going well. Or perhaps even more so, someone goes, wow, that's so cool that you're doing well. Things are also going well for me. And then they proceed to make it about themselves and talk about all the things that they're rejoicing about. And you're sitting there thinking, they never rejoiced with me about my news. It's weird. Rather than rejoicing with the rejoicing, how often do we shift gears from those that are up and make it all about ourselves? Forcing others to then enter into our frequency rather than entering and celebrating with them in theirs. Why do we do this? We don't rejoice with the rejoicing and others don't rejoice with us when we're rejoicing because there is something at war within us. I'm talking about comparison. Comparison. If celebration completes joy, then comparison competes against it. See, uh, James speaks to this once more, but in chapter 1. He says, verse 9, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. I'll explain a little bit about the background here. James is writing to first century Christians many of whom have been scattered across the globe due to persecution. And as a result of following Jesus, some of them have lost everything that they had. That's the lowly brother mentioned here by James. But others, it seems, have actually retained what they had and even gained some wealth as a result. And so you've got these two Christians, each following Jesus wholeheartedly, but for some reason... Their circumstances look different. We don't know why, but comparison now begins to rise up within the church. And if we do not know how to deal with comparison when it rises up in our own hearts, it leads to destructive ends. A group of sociologists recently conducted a study on the effects of Instagram on us that speaks to this. Instagram, the app. You ready for this? The conclusion, this is wild. Instagram, you ready? You got to write this down? Ready? Instagram leads to depression. There it is. Five years ago, this study came out. It's only worse now. Instagram leads to depression. Here's why. Allow me to paint the picture like it actually happens in my own life. 
I just finished blowing through a season of some show on Netflix. I still haven't gotten out of my PJ pants for the day. I roll over, grab my phone, and I start scrolling Instagram. And here's what I find. Everybody's marriage is awesome. Their kids are incredible. They always listen to their parents. Uh, my coworkers and neighbors are just counting money off their money trees in their backyard. It's the craziest thing. They don't struggle ever. Uh, there's no pain. They have no sorrow. Uh, everybody's so beautiful. They're model worthy. And here I am. I just downed a pint of ice cream watching a show that I'll never remember the name of. And what happens is you start to resent those other people. Anger starts to build in your heart toward them. Really, God, me, I'm enduring this, and look at them. In this moment, our heart becomes exposed, and comparison is how it plays out. And just so you know, I'm really not dogging on, on anyone in this room. I'm starting with me, okay? It's weird. Can I be honest? It's weird being a pastor in a day that we're so digitally connected as we are. Because there are days I have to intentionally not go on social media because of how dark my heart gets when I start seeing, oh, so-and-so's church, their event from one town over got like a 1,000 likes and shares on it, and my post got like, what, three? Or, uh, hey, we just celebrated, right, a couple weeks ago. We recorded this album, and we're so excited about it, and we wanted to give it away, and it's really cool. Except, oh, wait, that other church recorded three albums, and their songs are on the radio, and they're only like a year old. How does... And then I start to question the hearts of these other church leaders. Like, they must be successful because they've sold out. But God, I'm your man. I've done everything for you, not for my glory. So why are you letting them grow and grow? And I'm sitting here wondering if I'm doing something wrong. Like I, I'm just trying to be transparent so that you know that this preacher right here doesn't get it right all the time. I know what it's like to make a mess of things too. And so I start to go to this place when I'm questioning God, really, him, her, you're blessing them with all this stuff. And then the Holy Spirit does something. He, he kind of like gently smacks me upside the back of my head. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit says something like, Peter, you sound a whole lot like the brother in Luke 15, the parable of the lost sons. The older brother who's sitting outside the party and he's whining because he's not the center of attention. But you're missing out on the celebration of my kingdom work all around you. Come, join the feast and be with me. It's a... Uh, it's a beautiful and yet sometimes awful moment when you sense the Lord speaking to you that clearly. But it's something we all need to hear at times. Because God is going to work in us and through us, but he also can work around us. So are we going to get on his page? So when we're faced with difficulty celebrating at times what God seems to be doing in other people's life, because we're busy competing against them, and comparing ourselves against them, here's, here's what James says. It's like antidote right here. James, watch this, verse 9 again. He says, let the lowly brother boast 
in his exaltation. And the exaltation here, what he's saying is when you're struggling to celebrate with what's going on well in someone else's life, take a moment to consider the exaltation of your life in Christ. Take a moment to consider what God has done in your life in Christ. So listen to that again and let it settle into your soul. The next time that you are faced with news about something going well for somebody else and you're struggling in your heart of hearts to be happy with them, it starts with this. Don't focus on their situation. Refocus on your exaltation in Christ. Remind yourself of these basic truths, right? That you no longer need to justify yourself because in Christ you have been justified with God. You no longer need to strive towards status because Christ has raised you up to heavenly places. You no longer need to work to gain the approval of others because in Christ you have the smiles of the Father. The love of the Son and the seal of the Holy Spirit. And on this unwavering foundation of who Christ is and what he has done, you can now walk in the good works that he has prepared for you to do because Christ has gone before you, Christ is with you, and Christ is in you. Amen. Do not focus on their situation, but refocus on your exaltation in Christ. And what you'll discover is that when you celebrate Christ's work in in your life, it will free you up to celebrate his work in the lives of others too. When you take time to celebrate the work of Christ in your own life, it then wells up into celebration that you can share with others as they experience God's work in their life too. Meaning, we'll be able to turn and do what Paul recommended to rejoice and celebrate with those who do because we will have been filled full in the celebration of what God has done in us and for us already. And so in this way, we discover that the words of rejoicing with those who rejoice is not simply advice, but it's actually medicine too because celebration heals comparison. Celebration heals comparison. Not only does celebration complete joy, but it heals comparison too because deeper than joy, uh, deeper than comparison, celebration does another thing as well. Celebration reveals worship. Celebration reveals worship. If you want to know what you worship in your life, pay attention to what makes your heart sing. What makes your heart sing? Colossians 3.16 makes this exact point. It says, let the message of Christ, that is the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus and his kingdom, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude, with celebration in your heart. Celebration reveals worship. 
And you can know what you worship by what makes your heart sing. See, in Colossians, when the good news of Jesus is at the center of who we are, we cannot help but sing glory to him. It's why we devote time, every time practically that we gather as a church, we devote time to singing. See, it's not because we think we have great voices. It's not because we're professionally trained. It's not because we're trying to put on a show. It's because our mouths overflow whatever fills our souls. See, it's why crowds at Arrowhead Stadium are so noisy, by the way. The same reason. It's not because anyone's trying to impress the person next to them in the crowd. It's not because they're concerned for us at all. No one's thinking about us. All they're doing is they're looking at the field and they're wondering whether Butker's going to mess it up again or Mahomes is going to have a little bit of magic, right? But greater than any celebration that the chief's kingdom could ever draw out from us, Christ's kingdom should exponentially draw out more. This place should be louder than Arrowhead every single week. The noise meter should be through the roof every single week. Unless, of course, Jesus isn't really that important to us. Unless, of course, he's not really the object of our affection. Unless, of course, he's not really at the center. Then, of course, we'd sing half-heartedly. Of course, we'd sing without gusto and fervor and be reduced to blank stares, waiting around for the song to be over before we show up 15 minutes late to service because we think the only thing that matters is hearing what the preacher has to say. All the while, who is it that we're worshiping? Doesn't sound like Jesus to me. What makes your heart sing? That is the object of our worship. Verse 16, one more time. Notice what leads to the celebration and singing. It says, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. And then it says, as you what? As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, resulting in singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. See, what's he say leads to the singing and celebrating? This is fascinating. He's like, hey, there's a teaching and an admonishing, there's an encouraging and an exhorting that takes place through the act of singing. He's like, you want to sing to God? Sing to God. You want to celebrate God? Celebrate God. And something happens because in the act of celebrating God, your desire to celebrate God grows too. We've all felt this before, haven't we? Like first song, I'll be honest, first song kicks in and I'm like, not really feeling it. You ever walk into church because you just like, Yelled at your kids to get ready. You had an argument with your spouse on the way in. 
You kick the dog. You don't even have a dog, but you kick the dog, right? Like I'm not in a frame of mind to celebrate Jesus right now. But something happens along the way. Maybe it's not song number one. Maybe it's not song number two. But something clicks. And it's like eventually I'm able to set down all those other things that were vying for the center of my life. And then Jesus takes the throne again. And it's like I cannot help all of a sudden. It doesn't matter what song is next. I'm going to sing, right? Why is that? That is Colossians 3.16 in action. That's getting to the gratitude and celebration of singing through singing. It is the strangest thing, but but it's actually a lot like dancing. Ever been to a wedding and um, the dance floor is just totally bare and you're like, wow, this is really awkward. And then from a distance you hear this like faint call of worship and you're like, what is that? One hop this time, two hop this time, (laughs) right? And next thing you know, everyone's sliding to the left. And everyone and their mom is sliding to the right. And it's weird because no, everyone was sitting down. They're all eating food. And all of a sudden, they start, sure enough, when that song finishes, guess what? The people keep dancing, don't they? Why is that? Last point. Celebration breeds Celebration. See, celebration completes joy, it heals comparison, it reveals worship, and it even, in turn, breeds more celebration in your life. So if you want fuller joy in your life, less comparison with others in your life, truer worship of Jesus in your life, and even more celebration in your life, then it's time we put celebration into action in an everyday sort of a way. But how? Two words, record and relay. Record and relay. Record simply means write things down as they happen in life. Prioritize a daily or even just a weekly practice of journaling. Because after all, if we aren't taking time to regularly record the things that are happening in our life, then how can we measure against them to know how far God has brought us? If I don't know that I sinned five times yesterday, how can I know that I'm only sinning three times today and that's progress? I can't know that if I'm staring at myself in the mirror wondering, am I growing, am I growing, am I growing? I'm not, I don't know. But the moment you record it against some other metric, you can realize, oh, look at that distance that's been spanned. So you got to take time to record it before you can possibly reflect on it. Now, I know the task of journaling can be a little bit daunting. It feels kind of ambiguous. And so just to take a little bit of the mystery out of it, I want to give us a specific prompt that you can incorporate putting into practice going forward based on what we've learned today on celebration. Write this down. What brought me joy? Who did I celebrate with? Where did I worship Jesus? How can I celebrate? Just those four prompts. This could be something, I mean, imagine doing this daily. How incredible, what insight would be revealed. But even if you did it weekly, right? Here's these four questions again. What brought me joy? How did I, who did I celebrate with? 
Where did I worship Jesus and how can I celebrate? Because if you did this even on a weekly level, like I imagine on like a Sunday night would be as good a time as any for me. Because it's right before the work week. I have a pretty fresh idea of what last week looked like. And so I'm sitting down and I'm writing down, okay, what brought me joy? Man, yesterday I'm sitting down to the piano and my son is singing. That brought me joy. Write that down. Uh, yesterday, I uh, just start recalling what the things that happened the last week. Write those things down going on. Who did I celebrate with? Well, I was kind of comparing myself to everyone. I didn't celebrate with anyone. Okay, write that down. That's that week's journal entry. Or maybe you did celebrate with someone. Write it down. On and on the list goes. And it's just a way to keep track of where were we that week. And then next week, do the same thing. And then the following week, do the same thing. And what we'll find over time is that it's like taking these little snapshots of our days and our weeks that we can look back at and reflect from time to time and see, wow, look at how far God has brought me in this last month. Before I celebrated with no one, now I'm celebrating with three people. That's growth. And then after you record it, take time to relay it, to share it with someone else. That's really what the fourth question, how can I celebrate? What is that all about? It's just about saying, yeah, you can write down birthdays, right? I want to celebrate my birthday this week. I want to celebrate my kids uh, or my, my anniversary, whatever it might be. Write those down, sure. But I think also this is an opportunity to write down and take note of the growth that we've seen over time. And then, right, after a month, perhaps the number of times that you've celebrated with others has increased. Or maybe over a month, the situations where you've chosen to worship Jesus beyond just a Sunday morning has grown. Or perhaps the list of things that bring you joy has multiplied because you've learned to find joy in all the little things that you hadn't seen before. That is all worthy of celebration, isn't it? And so find someone and relay that to them. And let, tell them what's brought you joy and let them join you in it, right? Let's together be a community where we can relish in one another's victories. Where we can savor the times of fun and laughter together and give into the impulse of cherishing all that God has been up to and join him in declaring that it's good, very, very good, right? Because it is. And I believe as we do this, and build in this discipline of celebration, we will find Jesus' words of John 15 becoming more than just words in our life. And we'll discover that his joy would be in us. And that our joy would be full. God, I pray that that would be real in our lives. Because celebration completes joy. And it heals comparison. And it reveals worship and breeds more celebration. So how about we take a first step in celebration today? Right at your tables, we're going to leave up this screen with the four questions. And I want us to just take a moment for self-reflection. Go ahead and just in a journal, if you've got one, or in your phone, open to notes. Or if it helps you stay accountable, write a text message to somebody and start writing down these four things. Start answering them. What brought you joy this week? 
Who did you celebrate with this week? Where did you worship Jesus this week? And how can you celebrate going forward? Take a few minutes now, just think about it, reflect on it, write it out. And then I want each of us to turn to someone at our table or at a nearby table and share with them one of the answers to one of the questions. That's it. We're gonna take a few minutes right now to do that. So that's fill it out on your own and then relay one of those answers to somebody else and then let's celebrate together. Sound good? Try that again. Sound good? Sounds frightening, maybe. But you know what? That vulnerability is a place where God wants to meet you right now. And may we find that he, his grace makes us strong in our weakness. And may we find his joy in us and our joy being made full. So let's do that now. Van will lead us in a song or two afterwards. God bless.